What is up, everybody, and welcome to Curious with Jake Heilbrunn. I am super excited for today's episode with Becky Mendoza on changing tides, reinventing yourself, and igniting social change. Becky Mendoza is a trailblazer and someone who just makes shit happen. She's an action sports attorney and founder of her own firm, Action Sports Law Group. She is also the co-founder of Changing Tides Foundation, whose mission is to empower women to protect our planet by giving them the tools they need to become effective environmental stewards and to enact positive change from the ground up in their own communities. Guys and gals, Becky's story highlights the power of following your intuition and the ripple effect of taking an idea from vision to reality. Becky's passion, actions, and story serve as a beautiful reminder of the power we all have within ourselves to ignite social change. So without further ado, here's today's episode with Becky Mendoza. Cool. I'm super excited that we're finally getting to sit down. Uh, since learning about changing tides and seeing you around Encinitas, my curiosity has been piqued, and especially after the Paddle Out for Unity event, mm-hmm. which was incredible, and we'll dive into that. I'm just really curious to talk with you and hear your story. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. And so I always wonder this with lawyers, and it's funny, I just started doing some marketing work for uh, a law firm. Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer when you were little or, or what was the spark for that? Okay. <laughs> so this is actually, I haven't told this story in a long time. When I was really little, I was very argumentative. Um, I was like resistant to everything I was told to do. So I was branded as like, oh, she's going to be a lawyer since <laughs> I was little. But I always, that was another stereotype I wanted to break. So I was like, no, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be a lawyer. So I went to college and I studied psychology, which I was really, really interested in. Mm-hmm. But I come from a Cuban family. Mm-hmm. And you um, immigrated here? My parents. Both gotcha. my parents immigrated here from Cuba. And um, their whole goal is figure out what you want to do that makes money and that makes money fast and that makes you secure. And that that was pretty much the goal. It wasn't so much like do what you're passionate about, follow your heart. You know, it wasn't that. It was like follow the money kind of. Mm -hmm. So so when it came to psychology, um, as much as I loved it, there was like a lot of study, very little pay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my parents really encouraged me to go to law school. I actually got dared. Uh, My mom was a legal secretary for a securities litigation firm for a long time, very large firm. Mm -hmm. And I had a chat with her boss. And he kind of was like, look, you know, if you if you take the LSAT and you go to law school, you don't have to be a lawyer. You can be anything you want. And so I was like, okay, well, that's really um, that's really cool. And he kind of was just like, I dare you to just try. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I'm, I'm never turned down a dare. Yeah, so. it sounds like it. Um, so I did, and uh, I decided to go to law school. And for me, it was like I didn't want to be put into a box. Um, so I really wanted to have something else to fall back on, I guess, or mm-hmm. to combine with law. And so I got a master's in sports administration at the same time. Um, and so I, and I graduated with my dual degree with a law degree and a, and a master's in, in sports administration so that I could have options outside of the courtroom. Gotcha. Yeah. And backtracking a little bit, what was it about psychology that fascinated you or still fascinates you? Yeah. It, 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 I totally, when I chose law, I was like, but I'm going to be one of those ladies that turns 40 and like goes back to school for psychology. Like I'm just going to do the law thing to make money. Uh-huh. And mind you, I was 20 years old when I made the decision to go to law school. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I graduated early. I was a bit overambitious. And um, I don't know if you're like really qualified to choose what you want to do for the rest of your life that young, right? Totally. 
So, um, so sorry, I forgot the question. Oh, just like what I guess drew you into psychology? What oh, yeah, was it about psychology. you that fascinated you? So I've always been a super curious person, mm-hmm. and I love from. Anybody who looks different, who talks different, anybody, like anytime I travel anywhere, anytime I go in an Uber, like I want to know your life story. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's really what I was kind of always the person that friends came to for advice. Um, You know, tell me your story. I really was engaged. I really listened to what people were saying. Mm -hmm. I really kind of tried to put myself in their shoes and, um, you know, and just try and give them advice that I thought was reasonable. Mm-hmm. An objective, yeah, but also taking into consideration their situation and uh, and a lot of the asking people questions. So the fact that I ended up going into law rather than psychology, having the background in psychology because I do have the the bachelor's in psychology, mm-hmm. um, really helped me in my law profession um, because I could kind of read people a little bit better. I can read my audience. I could feel the temperature of a room. I could really engage clients in a different way that's a lot more personable than just like, here's a retainer, sign yeah. your life away. Like, you know, so I think that's really helped me and how I've kind of um, worked in my practice and even the way I bill and just the way I interact with clients. Yeah, I feel like psych and I'm to- a total psych nerd myself. Just same thing. I mean, the show is literally called Curious with Jake Hobbins. So I'm just like <laughs> curious about people, uh, hence the conversation. But it's such a good foundation because I think anything you go into dealing with people, it's going to serve you. Exactly. And I think, I feel like with the whole, um, just, it really draws a connection. Like where if you're asking people questions about themselves, they really feel, um, I don't know, drawn. Drawn to like be able to open up, confident in themselves. Like, oh, wow, this person wants to know about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really genuinely do. I, I don't mind talking about myself too, like, you know, like I'm doing <laughs> yeah. this podcast, but I genuinely enjoy hearing people's stories and um, and I'm really fascinated by them. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And so you graduated, you had this dual degree and a lot of people who listen to the show, I mean, there's a, a wide range, but a lot of people are in their 20s or even not in their 20s and they're still trying to figure out like, what am I trying to do or trying to shift careers? Did you know like, this is what I want to do? Or what was your mindset once you, you got the degrees, you got the, the law degree, and now you're, you're, you're in, the, in the world? In okay. The, yeah. So I graduate law school and I'm 24 years old. Okay. A baby. I'm green. You know, I have no idea what anything is, right? Mm-hmm. So I also, um, I graduated, I took the bar, and then there's like a period of time where you have to wait for your bar results. Mm-hmm. And so during that time, I kind of explored what kind of fields I'd want to go into. I really wanted to go into the sports side of things. Mm-hmm. Did you play sports growing up or what was that? I did. Yeah. So I played basketball and softball growing up. Nice. And I was a huge baseball fan, like grew up in a very hardcore baseball family. Nice. Like we did like my dad's own version of the ESPN dream trip where we road trip from Miami to Montreal and went to a ball ball game in every single wow. city except for Fenway. We the the Sox weren't playing when we were there, but um so needless to say, you know, my dad still has an entire closet full of baseball cards, you know. Nice. So just super core and then growing up in Miami, which is where I'm from, you know, we have the Dolphins, we have the Miami Heat, we have the Marlins, so they're big sports culture. Exactly. And so um 
But around that time, there wasn't so much opportunity coming straight out of law school. And this was like kind of right before the recession hit. And so by the time I went into law school to the time I came out of law school, the reduction in starting salary for an attorney was insane. So let's say it was like if average starting salary was a hundred grand mm-hmm. when I went into law school, by the time I came out, it was like 50 grand. Wow. Yeah. So it was a huge disparity. Of course, like in the midst of law school, we're like, did we make the right decision? We're <laughs> yeah. like racking up all these student loans. Like this is the safe, secure thing that you were promising me. Exactly. So um, needless to say, in my mid twenties, things definitely, um, you know, there wasn't this like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. When I was in law school between second and third year, I actually came out here to Encinitas to do an internship at a sports agency in Carlsbad. They focused on action sports. So Mm -hmm. it was like skate, snow, moto, wakeboard, surf. And at this time, you hadn't done those types of sports. No. So I started surfing when I was in law school, which is a very inopportune time. So I I love that because everyone (laughs) I keep meeting, I'm like telling them about surfing. I'm like, it's amazing. Like, yeah, but I feel like I didn't start it when I was young. Like, you don't have to start when you're eight years old, but totally. And I feel like if I would have started when I was young, I probably would have had like, like, I don't know, maybe some success in the sport. Yeah. But um, yeah, starting later, obviously, like makes you a little bit less uh, malleable. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, you're a little less flexible, little like weirder muscle memory. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I started surfing when I was 22. And it was because one of my buddies from law school lived like a little bit up the coast in Florida because Miami's blocked by the Bahamas. Uh So it's rare to get waves. Yeah. If you do, it's pretty crappy wind swell or you get like these crazy hurricane swells or these like ghost swells that'll last like three or four hours where it's like pumping perfect like barrels with like the cruise ships in the background and then it's dead. Like you go to work in the morning and by lunchtime it's gone. That's so weird. So it, yeah. So and Miami, the culture in Miami is just really different. Um, Mm -hmm. It's suit and tie. It's drive your Lexus. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just really a culture of, of who's got the nicer stuff. Totally. Um, overall, you know, um, and, and so coming out here for this internship, um, you know, I remember going to work the first day and telling my boss like, Oh, I brought a business suit for, you know, for if we have a meeting out of office. And he was like, if you ever wear a business suit to this office, you're fired. <laughs> it's so uh, like North County is such exactly. a different vibe. So I was like, okay, all right, you know, like I like this. I could get used to this. And so I spent a summer out here, went back to Miami to finish last year of law school and pretty much was like, I don't want to be here, <laughs> you know, like I don't want this suit and tie culture. Um, but at the time I started dating somebody and we decided to give it a fair try. Mm-hmm. And so I stuck around after law school and decided to take the Florida bar exam. Gotcha. And this this gentleman lived in Florida. In Miami, yeah. Gotcha. So it was when I went back to Miami for my third year law school that um, we met pretty much immediately. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, this is worth giving it a shot. He also was really interested in moving to California. So there were incentives there, figuring things out. So I took the Florida bar exam. And, um, and then, yeah, while I was waiting for the results, I was kind of just exploring like what do I want to do I worked at a trademark firm I worked at a real estate firm you know I was kind of like dipping my toe into different things nothing was really screaming at me I was like this paperwork is really boring yeah and then um I ended up landing a job through a friend with this um he was like a single practice practice attorney um and he was looking to expand he basically wanted to go like 
hang out on his new yacht <laughs> and, and, you know, bring somebody in to do the, the grunt work. Yep. And I was really hungry. And so he threw me in with the sharks and I, I did pretty well. So mm-hmm. I was there for about two, maybe two and a half years. And that was out on the West Coast. That was in Miami. In Miami. Yeah. Gotcha. So this is all in Miami. And then um, I ended up leaving that job. I had like an eat, pray, love moment. Amazing. I love these moments. <laughs> I was 27 years old and I had one of those moments where I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize who I was seeing. And I, at this point I had like, I was like wearing diamonds and like, you know, had bought a condo in South Beach and was driving the Lexus and doing the whole thing. Um, and I like looked at myself and was like, I don't recognize who this person is. And I was like, I, I literally had said this out loud in the mirror to myself is if you live one more day like this, you're going to die like this. And the next day I started making plans to move to California. Wow. I love these. I love these moments because for me, A, they're pivotal in, in like shaping who we are, but B, I think so many people can resonate with that. And they're on this track. And I, that was me, at least in college. I, I dropped out of college at 18 and basically like full send of like, this is the normal path. I don't like it. Like I felt like I had my path laid out for me. Did that decision, did it kind of like, was it something that gnawed at you for months? Or like, how did you get to that realization? Was it a slow thing or did something just like spark that? Um, well, I think it was, it was the feeling of having... I, my boyfriend and I broke up oh, and, and I think for my, it took me a few months after that period to realize that I had like done a lot for him mm-hmm. and a lot for what the expectation is of, of my family and what, what's normal and the maturity of a young adult that's of Cuban descent, you yeah. know, is like this whole path to success and you're defined by what you know, by what you can, by what you can afford. Yeah. Um, and I just felt really disconnected from that. And I, I felt really, I had really good friends, really good high school friends, really good college friends. Um, I went to university of Florida for college, so I went away for college. Mm -hmm. Um, but I met, I met, I made a really good group of friends that were all from Miami when Uh I was in college. So when I came back to Miami, it was like, everybody was in Miami and that was, they're really good people, but I just, more and more was feeling like I didn't have anything in common with them. From a value standpoint. Exactly. And and just I just really couldn't relate to – and I tried, which was the weird part. And I think yeah. that was where I caught myself, was, was really trying, right, when I was trying to do all of these things. And then finally was like, who are you? You know, like had that moment with me, that reckoning, and was like, who are you? Like mm-hmm. this isn't you. This yeah. isn't what you want. This isn't who you want to be. And – um, you know, by this time I had already immersed myself pretty, pretty deeply into the surf culture. I'm a fan of sports. So yeah. when I became a surfer, I became a fan of surfing. At that time, it was like ESPN had the network EXPN. Okay. And so it was like all these extreme sports. And so there was like, there were channels like where you could watch, you know, the X games and like all these different kind of repeats of things. Fuel TV was really big. So it was like, you just, there was a lot of content on the television if you were looking for it. And I just kind of became immersed in that culture and was just like, this is what I want. Like, I know what I want, you know? Yeah. So, um, and even then it wasn't, I know what I want. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I have a plan. It was like, I have no plan. I'm quitting my job. I'm moving to a state where I don't have a license. 
and I'm going to figure it out. And I also was like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer anymore. Mm. And so that was 27 years old. Um, I moved out here in November of, of 2007. And that was really interesting because I moved out here and it was right when the fires, it was like the worst fires. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. You would just smell ash. Would oh, be ash like was raining, raining on the cars. And yeah. And uh, I moved here. I think it was like on a Wednesday and my friend picked me up from the airport. A friend of mine who was from Miami moved here. Um, he picked me up at the airport, took me straight to Tourmaline to watch the sunset and it was 4.30 PM. And I remember being like, it's four, it's nighttime and it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Like in Miami, it's like not nighttime Sunset's until like six later. or seven. Like even on, even when it's like wintertime, yeah. it's past six. Uh-huh. So I was just like, have I made, you know, it's like raining ash. I'm You're like, like, what, what did I just get I? myself what into? Yeah. So I basically decided to move out here and uh, I was like open to sales. I was like, maybe I'll become a pharmaceutical sales rep, which is such a weird thing. Like <laughs> I looking think looking back at, at you at now, it's now, like, it's hard to imagine Not that. a chance. Yeah. But at the time, my friends, you know, coming straight out of college were like getting these jobs where like the company's paying for your laptop and they're paying for your car and they're paying for all the stuff and you get to yeah. go to dinners all the time. And like, you know, they made it sound like it's really glamorous. For sure, yeah. Um, laws did actually change around the time uh, about how much uh, farm farm people could wine and dine. Interesting. Um, so, but anyways, so I, I explored going into sales. Um, this was my train of thought. About four days after I arrived to San Diego, I sprained my ankle really bad. And all I wanted to do was surf. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to surf. I'm going to surf through the winter. I have some savings. I'm going to figure this out. And I ended up um, spraining my ankle really bad. And it was like probably a few days before the deadline of when you could sign up to take the bar exam in California. And it was a bad sprain and I knew it. And um, I decided to study, to use that time to study for the bar. So this like dark winter, like ashy, like, World's ending apocalyptic. (laughs) And how how short the days are during winter. Like Mm -hmm. I pretty much like, moved myself into a cave and studied like crazy and mm-hmm. then took the bar exam um, in February. Yeah. And even then didn't find out for probably like another six months whether or not I had passed. Uh-huh. And did you pass? Yeah, I passed. I passed both bars the first time, thank God. Um, I feel like I definitely shaved years off my life stressing and studying for the bar exam. Wow. It's been 15 years since I took my first bar. Yeah. Um. And I still have nightmares, like the recurring nightmare that I slept through the bar exam. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't get it all the time, but it still does happen like probably once every few months. And I'm like, you don't have to take a test again, Becky. (laughs) Like, you're good. Wow. Yeah. So that was pretty wild. So essentially, at that time, while I was waiting for my bar results, I was in a bar that used to be here in Encinitas called El Callejón. Okay. This is pre-me. Being okay. They had the best margaritas ever. I don't even drink anymore. So this was like ages <laughs> ago. And I'm at, I'm celebrating a, a friend of mine from Venezuela, his birthday. And we're speaking in Spanish. And this man walks up to us, like an older man. And he's like, oh, here you guys speaking Spanish. And, you know, he's like, oh, if you, got, if you guys ever have, we know where you're from. If you guys ever have immigration questions, here's my card. The boys are like, oh, this, we have our lawyer right here. You know, I'd never even like... I'd never even looked at an immigration law ever. Yeah. So um, he was just like, oh, we got into conversation. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, actually, I'm waiting for my bar results. He's like, I have a law firm. 
Um, and I have a sports agency. So this guy had a law firm that was specializing in immigration for equestrian athletes. So mm-hmm. it was right across the street from the Del Mar racetrack. Gotcha. So it was working with mostly like polo players, jockeys, show jumpers, trainers. Um, and then he also had World Sports Agency, which was um, dealing – he was an agent for Major League Baseball players. Wow. Dominican ones. And I speak Spanish. So it was and like all A light must things. have gone off in your head, especially yeah. the MLB part. I was like, this is not an accident. Yeah. He said, call me Monday. Tuesday I was hired. And yeah, and I, I um, what's crazy is at that time, like I said, it was like the recession. I had sent over 200 resumes to law firms in San Diego from Florida. And I didn't get, I think I probably had like two interviews. Okay. I have to interject because <laughs> yeah. just like looking at your story, I think one of the things that fascinates me too, you said, I didn't know what you wanted to do after you looked in the mirror, but mm-hmm. I think you knew what you didn't want. Exactly. And I think sometimes that's all the clarity we need. Like I'm going down this path. All I know is I don't like this path. So all we need know is like, okay, I'm going to veer. And you, like you said, you didn't know what you wanted to do. You just had this like inkling of like, I'm going to go right in this direction. Yeah. And then of course, as the universe always works in these mysterious ways, like by you doing that and like stepping into this direction, that opportunity just comes up, right? Totally. I'm always just fascinated by that. And I think like even me and, and and people I talk with, they're like, what precipitates change? Like if you know you're unhappy and I think it's like, it's like glamorized to be like, oh, I knew exactly what I was going to do and I just went for it. And that's so often not the case, but it's like this trusting yourself that you're going to figure it out as you go. Um, I love it. And in terms of kind of like hopping around here, so passion for the environment. <laughs> this is really going hopping. into changing tides <laughs> yeah but like i mean it sounds like you have you've lived multiple lives already oh yeah uh, how did your passion for the environment start like was that at a young age or or when did that cultivate never at a young age i was part of the throwaway culture i was you know anything that's quick and easy um i never i would like i mean when i was younger throw things out the window my you know my parents car and like I mean, I just wasn't conscious. I wasn't raised to be conscious. Mm-hmm. The shift for me happened when I started surfing and when I started surfing more internationally mm-hmm. and started seeing these problems firsthand. So I think the beauty of a sport like surfing or an activity or a hobby like surfing or like hiking or snowboarding, um, it just really opens up a deeper connection to the planet that it was really for me it was unintentional so now it becomes like okay well i'm i'm actually surfing i'm seeing this firsthand when i'm walking on the beach i'm seeing plastic you know before i chose not to see that it's not that it wasn't there um i think it's definitely worse now than when you know than than when i was younger for sure um but i think that once our eyes open like awareness is the catalyst for change right and so i think once i once i opened my eyes so maybe when i did my first beach cleanup you know and really understanding like wow if you look for this stuff it's actually everywhere mm-hmm. um then it became like i couldn't walk down the beach without like just noticing at first b- before i really started like cleaning up mm-hmm. right and still now it's like i can't clean everything you yeah. know so it's like i will do my part and stuff some you know, so a utensil or a piece of plastic or whatever it is that I find in the surf in my, my wetsuit while I'm surfing. But 
you know, and we, we do plan like kind of bigger cleanups and whatnot. And I love being a part of that. I never thought I would enjoy picking up trash. I was kind of like grew up an athlete for sure, but also kind of like prissy, like, oh, that's disgusting. Like, don't mm-hmm. touch that. Like, you know, not really, um, yeah, not really just understanding that all this stuff that's on the beach, it's like, you just pick it up with your, you don't need yeah. gloves. You just pick it up with your hand. It came out of the ocean. You know, yeah. it's probably more sterile, you know, than, than most things. Yeah. And you just pick it up and you put it in the trash and you wash your hands and it's fine. You're going to yeah. be fine. So, um, I think the shift for me really came when I, when I became a surfer, like more than just like, oh, I'm going to surf every once in a while. Like it was when I became like a more consistent surfer and when I started traveling to surf. Yeah. And do you remember that first international trip or that moment where you saw like a, like a ton of trash or like, wow, this is not good. I feel like, oh man, I've had so many of those experiences. It's hard to remember the first one. Mm -hmm. Or just one that stands out of being like, this is bad. Yeah. So we recently, uh, well, not so recently, I guess like two years ago, did a trip to Dominican Republic Mm -hmm. to the north um, end of Dominican Republic of the island. And, um, we went there to work with young girls, you know, to work with them on empowerment, to surf with them. Um, and what we saw as far as plastic pollution, plastic trash, um, was absolutely like heart wrenching. Um, and it's because, you know, these people, essentially what happened is they, they're islanders. They used to eat off banana leaves. They used to eat off, you know, things that were degradable. And then they'd just chuck it in the, you know, on the side of the road. And that used to be okay when it's that stuff that degrades, you know, when it's a banana leaf or when it's, you know, something that's, that's just gonna, gonna degrade. But, um, you know, having the plastic epidemic Mm -hmm. come through their island, and have it not be coupled at all with any sort of education about what to do with it, mm-hmm. I think. And the way it stormed, you know, it stormed the world, right? Plastic, this like defect, right? That was, when did it, do you know like when that revolution happened? Like was there like a something? I believe, and don't quote me on this, but I believe it was in the 50s or the 60s where it was like they discovered this that they could like create this polymer, but it was like an accident. They were like trying to do something else. Interesting. I can't remember exactly what it is, but – um. And so then all of a sudden it became this really like cheap and it, in the beginning it wasn't it wasn't no like automatic. It was an issue too. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah. automatic. It wasn't like everything was wrapped in plastic, but then all of a sudden it's like everything from like food products to, you know, you think about and I mean you have to think about this even as an environmentalist. Like somebody's trying to make money selling potato chips, like the potato chips will go stale in a paper bag. Mm. that's why they don't come in paper bags yeah you know so there's like this freshness fresh the freshness oh my god i can't <laughs> say the word freshness <laughs> um that comes with using plastic mm-hmm. um but then there's all these other issues that come with using plastic as well so um i understand why it could have seemed appealing to people at first who had no idea that this stuff was not destructible, that it's and, not degradable. And unfortunately, like so many people still, I mean, I think the awareness is expanding, but so many people still like don't think twice about it because they're not even aware of the ramifications. Like I I spent some time in Guatemala about five years ago, like in this rural village. And that was one of the things I noticed right away. The soccer field was covered in trash. And the guy who's running the volunteer project is like, yeah, they just think that you throw the Gatorade bottle and it's just going to like disappear into thin air. Like it's an education issue. Totally. 
So we try and do that a lot with Changing Tides Foundation. When we're traveling anywhere we're going, we're always coupling any program that we're doing, whether it's clean water, whether it's female empowerment, um, with environmental education. And mm-hmm. most of the places we're going are coastal communities. Yeah. So they're, they're seeing it. They just don't know what to do with it or what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So then providing um, just suggestions on creative ideas that can be, um, I guess, that, that can be cultivated to deal with the plastics problem, whether it's like turning trash to art, whether it's mm-hmm. eco-bricking, which I don't know if you if you know what, what eco-bricking, eco-bricking is. So you imagine like a like a liter Coke bottle, okay. right? A plastic one or, or even the smaller ones um, that are maybe a quart. Um, and you're just shoving plastic, like plastic wrappers, the soft plastic inside of them as tightly as you possibly can uh-huh. with a little stick. Like you're literally just like oh. shoving them. And then you can use those as bricks to create either a wall or you can build a structure with it. Or, you know, there are different things that you can kind of mm-hmm. get creative to use. And it, I mean, it is, it's not a solution not by perfect. any means, but it's like for what's already there. The problem is, is we're creating more and more plastic. It's not, it feels like because we're, we're awake to it here in yeah, California and bubble Southern of California. Yeah. yeah. It feels like people are waking up to it and it does sound like people are waking up to it, but then we have something like COVID, yeah. um, which is like reverted everything back into single use. And Plastic, I yeah. can't tell you how many times I'm walking down this same street on Neptune where we're, where we are right now. And, um, picking up masks off the ground, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, so it's really interesting right now trying to balance what are, what are everybody's priorities, right? And priorities in every sense. It's mm-hmm. like environmental priorities, health, hygienic priorities, um, cost priorities, because right now a lot of people are experiencing hardship yeah. financially. So, um, it's really, uh, an interesting time to be an environmentalist. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we have to keep fighting and, and hope that this is just a temporary time and that we're just going to pick right back up where we left off. I think the local grocery stores are finally letting us bring reusables again, which yeah. they weren't for a while. All the bulks are closed. So like generally for us, we're like the advice we're giving people on how to use less plastic is shop bulk, you know, and all the, all these like, all, like bring your reusables and all these things were essentially prohibited, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully they'll, they'll kind of start to become the norm again. But um, for right now, it's a, it's a strange time to be an environmentalist. Also, we can't do these big like group beach cleanups. Mm-hmm. Um, the beaches were closed for a long while, um, which I hope meant less plastic on the beach, but yeah. a lot of the stuff actually wa- washes up from other places. So it's not necessarily thrown in here. It's just washed up. Exactly. Although in Lucadia specifically where we are in Encinitas, um, we try and do highway 101 cleanups so that we can intercept that stuff before it goes down to the cliff. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so what was the catalyst for changing tides? Okay. So there's five of you who founded it, right? Yes. So essentially I had been doing work, um, where I was taking water filters with me on surf trips. Uh, and I was buying the water filters from waves for water Mm -hmm. and that was really cool and opened me up to like a really, um, just a different way to travel, mm-hmm. you know, a different way to take a surf trip is, is to like add an element of service to my trip. So, uh, my first trip was to Nicaragua and that felt so good. Cause you know, service is really selfish. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we do it because it makes us feel really good to make other people, uh, 
make their lives a little bit easier or do something that we feel like could impact them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not to take away from from the service. Yeah, I mean, but that's like a true part of it. Like yeah. let's acknowledge that for exactly. sure. Exactly. So um, I did that in Nicaragua and then the next surf trip I was taking, I was going to Mexico to mainland for a wedding and I was like, okay, I'm gonna make a little surf trip out of it. And I went to this community, um, which is three hours south of Puerto Vallarta. Mm-hmm. And I distributed probably 50 water filters. And it was rad. And they were just like, what is this? And how could you even, how did you even think of us? Like, you know, you came all the way from America. I mean, it was just really, it was really powerful. And, and so I stayed in touch with them. Well, six months later, they got hit, direct hit by the strongest hurricane in recorded history. Wow. So I turned around and went back down there while everybody's running away from literally the day after a massive hurricane. Uh-huh, and you're going right towards I it. went straight into the eye of it and um, and was able to um, not only distribute more water filters, but do other things like purchase chainsaws and like kind of lumber and all these different things, tarps that people needed to be able to, to just survive, yeah. you know? And going down there made me realize that I wanted to do more than just clean water. Um, and, and so... In doing all of that, I kind of had a vision. I was like folding laundry and like bent over to pick up a sock. Where all realizations come through. <laughs> yeah, right during laundry. And I had this like flash of vision. And I think what I saw was where changing tides would be in five years, but I didn't know that at the time. So I had this vision and I saw myself working with my best friends um, and doing this beautiful work um, in different countries and, and you know, essentially figuring out exactly what the needs of this specific communities would be mm-hmm. and doing what we could to help. And so I called my girls. They all lived on Oahu at the time and I got everybody on a FaceTime and I was like, it, it took me a few weeks uh, before I could get it out. Mm-hmm. And I was actually like, I had the flash and I was like, do not say a word. You have too many things going on. Like you're running a law firm. You're like doing, you know, you have your hand in a, in a lot of different uh, kind of baskets. And so I was like, no, no, no. And then um, I had lunch with a friend and he's like, what is going on with you? Like, you're <laughs> acting really strange. You're like, not really, you're in your head. I can see you're in your head. And I was like, man, I have this, I have this idea. And I'm like, and I said it out loud for the first time. And he was like, you have to do this. Wow. And I was like, okay. And I said, you know, the vision included every single person that I, that I, you know, that co-founded Changing Tides with me. And, um, and so I called them and I said, this is the thought and it's not going to work unless all of us are, are in. Wow. And everybody was like crying. This is what's next. And everybody really felt connected to the mission. And from there we decided to start changing tides and it's evolved since then. So that was 2016. And we initially started as like a way for us as travelers to address um, social, environmental health and safety issues that are specific to local communities and then to also invite other travelers who are passing through those communities in the future to do what they can to continue the project that we started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really beautiful concept. Um, but more and more with the work that we've done, um, the audience that we feel the most connected to, the people who are listening the most, um, it's really evolved into our new mission statement, which just changed in January, and that's um, Changing Tides Foundation empowers women to protect the planet. So that's our new mission. It's we are certainly not exclusive to women. 
um, by any means, we're actually inviting men, everybody, um, to help empower more women mm-hmm. um, because women have a voice and it's a different tone and it's important. And um, generally, like women are are managing a lot of things in their households while their husbands are out working, especially in third world. Mm-hmm. Um, so having women be actively involved in decision making and in solutions in their community is imperative and it's really not necessarily mainstream mm-hmm. um, because of cultural norms. Yeah. So then it's figuring out how do we how can we help to empower the women so that they can find their own voice so we're not we're not trying to go in anywhere and say like we're here we're the white girls here to save you you know yeah. um where we're saying what is it that you want to do and then kind of coaching them on um different solutions that you know that they might be able to contribute to yeah so that's been important for us is to is to empower locals and to um encourage them to find their voice Mm -hmm. and a lot of what we do is empowerment through the ocean because when you teach a woman to swim when you teach a woman to surf to paddle um just something about being in the ocean makes you feel strong and it also makes you supportive of other people that are doing that same activity with you so if you've ever surfed, I don't know if you've surfed with with uh, or seen my, you know, our girls out in the surf oh, yeah. here. And it's a lot of hooting and hollering and cheering. And, you know, it's it's a lot of um, it's a lot of uplifting and and motivation rather than like kind of cutting down and I'm and snake you. <laughs> yeah. And being yeah. And being weird about it. So yeah. um, I think for us, that's what's it's what feels really good. Um, and it. We also really feel like it's imperative. It's an imperative right time right now to um, cultivate solutions that are going to help our planet because our time that window is like really running out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So many things uh, <laughs> I could say here. First is I'm always like so fascinated by how a movement or an organization starts, mm-hmm. and you need someone like you with the audacious vision. But there's also, and I've had these visions too, and it's so funny. But two things you said really resonated with me. One. I didn't tell anyone at first too because it felt like this thing that was so important to me. Mm-hmm. But then there's the second part of that where like at some point you got to tell someone. Um, but I understand the need to protect it because it's important to you and you're like, am I going to sound crazy? Like it's scary to tell someone your dreams. But I think the second part of that is telling the right person your dreams could be the fuel to ignite the fire. Yeah. And telling that person's validation and like, it probably he could probably just see this passion like spewing out of you. I'm guessing he's like, you got to do that. Whatever it is, like it was probably just like, alive within you yeah and then of course getting other people involved and i think it's cool so it's five women right who are mm-hmm. the co-founders yeah. and i think it's also interesting how it's evolved like i think we look at a company and we just think oh like they've had this clarity from day one and no it, you know no. you you again it's almost going back to your decision to leave the path you're on in miami and go out here it's like you feel this calling you want to make a difference you're getting a crew together and you start and you don't have to know where exactly you're going to be in 20 years. Yes, it's good to have the goals and the benchmarks and like have that direction, but just like start and like go and like trust that you're going to figure it out as you move. And I think a lot of that came from something that we skipped over, which I'll just touch on. I'm definitely not proud of it, but I think it's an important part of my story Mm -hmm. is when I moved out here and I made this decision to, to do California, this is what I'm going to do. I'm committed to that. I'm committed to, to like getting my life back Mm -hmm. and figuring out what my future is going to look like, not what somebody's idea of my future is. Mm. Um, 
I actually ended up like having a really hard financial time. Um, and I ended up having to file for bankruptcy. So I bought a condo in Miami and it was, like I said, in the middle of the recession, I lived in it for a year over there. And then when I moved over here, I rented it and it was renting fine. Then the crisis happened and Miami got hit really, really hard. Um, and so I lost the condo and because my second mortgage didn't accept the short sale, um, I ended up having to file for bankruptcy. So that was the biggest failure, quote unquote, of my life. And I felt it, you know, I definitely was like, wow, this is like, this is really gnarly. Like Mm -hmm. this is really gnarly. And, um, and it was a wake up call for sure. You know, like at 28 years old, Feel like you you're know, on top of the filing, world. yeah, I'm filing for bankruptcy at tw- or 29. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, being like, wow, this is, this is like real. Yeah. You know, shit is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, that was definitely something that I remember, I remember going into the condo the last time I knew I was going to be in it. And I remember going in the closet and sitting on, on the closet floor and, and crying. And I had myself a cry and then I remember wiping my tears and getting up and closing the door and walking out of there and never looking back. Being like, this is the decision I'm making. And I think because of the fact that I had taken the risks that I took, I did fall on my ass. But that fall on my ass made me realize that I have nothing to lose. And so that's where, I think that's where when you have that, facade of fear just completely removed it gives you the courage to move forward and to really like for me if i say an idea out loud that's where my fear comes right is saying it out loud because then i know it's going to happen yeah if i keep it inside i probably like i said if it's meant to be it'll keep you know kind of like plaguing me yeah where i'm not myself um but when i finally get it out i'm like okay i know it's going to happen and yeah. that's kind of how the raffle or the i'm sorry the paddle out for unity happened okay too <laughs> quick pause cuz i want to get into the paddle out for unity yeah. but what you just said of like the fear happening and then you're no longer scared of it mm-hmm. um i my body got lyme disease about nine and a half months ago and i had just moved into this apartment uh, was like dating a girl I was super into for the first time, like feeling that way, mm-hmm. starting to make good money in the business I had co-founded. And I always had this, and the company was like now up to like 30 people. It was just going too fast. But I was like so happy, but I always had this fear ever since we started the business. And it involved TED Talks. I always thought Ted's going to come after us and like sue us because we're like a third party, even though we like got the lawyers and did all the things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in a few months, I like lost my health. I had to stop working. Um, I was like, uh, at one point, I thought I was going to have to move in back with my dad. But like uh, the thing with the girl ended like and then now I'm in this place. And it's crazy for me to say this because I was in a really dark place up until like two, three months ago. of like, wow, when your fear happens, it's this beautiful freedom because your worst fear is now real. And so you no longer have to fear that You're like, oh, I lived through that. And I'm no longer scared of it. And I can't even like. Prior to this happening, I couldn't be like, oh, like I'm scared. It was like this feeling of fear. And now it's like not there because I know it. It's not fear. It's like real. It's like realized truth. I've embodied that. And now, there's this weird fucking feeling I have of like, I'm not, I feel like way chilled out. I was super ambitious, very driven. And I still have that. But it's like, calm down, dude. Everything's going to be okay. And like, now I feel like I've lost the health, the business that I was super passionate about, like, and now it's like, okay, nothing to lose. Like it kind of like yeah. I've fallen my ass, ass too in a different way. And I think there's a freedom to that that yep. we're so scared of. It's just like, it's almost like fuck up on purpose. So you can like feel that and totally. then you're free. It's liberating. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think hearing your story is really, is really, um, I could relate, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and just to let you know, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old. Mm -hmm. This all happened over 10 years ago. And, um, I definitely, I think it took me a little while to embody the lessons that I learned. Cause I think, you know, it's the same thing where we're, if we're comfortable and we're happy and everything's normal, mm -hmm. we're stagnant and that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there's like no growth happening. Mm -hmm. You're just being right when you have the challenges thrown your way, when you have um, these kind of life events that happen, illness, um, then you're like, okay, I'm challenged. I am challenged. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel emotional. You feel, you know, maybe you're crying more. You're, you know, maybe a little more moody. You know, you're not yourself and you don't feel yourself. And then, and maybe you look at yourself, same, because I have had moments afterwards where I've looked at myself and been like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Are you still in there? Are wow. you, you know, yeah. I, I have had moments. And in those moments for me, I know what works for me at this point because I've, I've dealt with this enough and yeah. been aware of it enough. For me, I have to get to the mountains. So I, I actually just did it a few weeks ago where I took off for 11 days on my own and I went to the mountains and my boyfriend understands and my friends understand and my family understands. I just need to go. I'm going to be fine. And the second I get there, it's like the medicine is like working, you know, it's like that, that prescription of nature. It's like all of a sudden it's like, this is exactly what I needed. And from the first moment, I'm just like, it's just pure joy. Wow. So, I mean, I think it's all a matter of like understanding what works for you. Yeah. What is your proverbial mountain? Exactly. Which is really odd because I grew up in a flat place. I didn't see <laughs> yeah. snow until I but, was 22 years old. But like, maybe that's what the magic of the mountains was for you. Yeah. You're like, wow, I've never experienced this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there is something like super beautiful and super cleansing about surfing and the activity of surfing itself, for sure, where it's like, you know, that's the reason why we do it, right? It's it's not just the feeling of gliding on the board. It's the feeling of like washing away, you know, rinsing off the dirt of the day. It's you know, being able to be present in the, in that moment. And when you're actually catching a wave, you're not like thinking about what you're going to wear later or what you're going to eat for dinner. You're like actually in that moment, right? There's yeah. like something about surfing that brings you to the present. And that to me, there's something beautiful about that. And I appreciate that in my day-to-day -day life. But I think when I have these like kind of bigger life moments and the stress of COVID and I haven't seen, my mom has ALS and I haven't seen her in a very long time. I, I was actually, I booked three tickets home um, to Miami to go see her. And every time I've had to change because either somebody in my family got COVID or it was too risky for her mm -hmm. or, you know, um, yeah. And it, right when you think things were going to get better, they kind of just kept getting worse. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just, everything came to a head and I was like, I need to disconnect. I need to leave Changing Tides here. I need to leave Action Sports Law Group here. I need to just leave my boyfriend here mm -hmm. and leave my family here and just go. Yeah. And so, yeah. But I think it's, it's beautiful and powerful how aware you are of your own needs. And I think that's something I always look up into to people like sometimes people who have clear boundaries can be a little bit um not intimidating but you're like whoa this person's like doing their thing but then i it's always like i respect it because i'm like wow how am i not honoring myself or like where in my life do i know if like and especially from a work standpoint always scared to like leave work mm -hmm. but you know that that break in spaciousness gives you the fuel and clarity to actually bring the mission forward so by you taking totally. space not only with the mission but probably with your relationship and like all the things so I think that's a, a powerful awareness. I do want to hop into the paddle out for unity. That to me was like, 
you know, it was such a weird time. It's like COVID's happening. Um, George Floyd's murdered and the entire Black Lives Matter movement is like building steam. We live in Encinitas. It's a pretty predominantly white community. And so like I remember up until that woman who like tore down the signs at the kook, that was mm-hmm. like my first involvement. We went to that protest, but kind of like wondering like, what can I do? And I remember going to that paddle out and paddling out. I like getting chills right now, like thinking about it, <laughs> but like I'm paddling out and there's like hundreds of people paddling out and, and I, you're just looking around and you feel this sense of unity because all these people are here for the same reason. They care. They, they want to make a difference. They want to be a part of the change. And I think there was such a, like I literally have goosebumps. I do too. <laughs> just like feeling the power of people yeah. like actually give a shit and like they're here. And that's what's so powerful about in-person events is like you felt that palpable energy and oneness. Um, and that to me was one of the most special moments I've been a part of to think that you organized that with Salima. So I'd love to hear how that came to be, what happened and what did you learn from that experience? Okay. So let's start with how it came to be. Like you said, a culmination of all these different things happening. Um, and really that it was a weekend when it all happened. Um, the idea of it. And I had, I took the weekend off of changing tides, mm-hmm. took the weekend off of social media. And went surfing with actually all of the Changing Tides girls were in town. I love and we it. all went surfing together in Carlsbad and went to a friend's house right afterwards. And we're sitting in his backyard. We ordered, you know, breakfast. And all of a sudden I'm sitting in a chair. I'm I'm relaxing, like in one of those gravity chairs, you know, like I'm like totally chilling. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden I'm like, this idea pops into my head. And I actually out loud, really low, said, uh-oh. And then everybody perked up, you know, because they know, <laughs> like, they know, yeah. like, what's up? What's going on through that brain of yours? You're such a classic visionary. It's so funny. <laughs> like, uh-oh. Um, and I said, uh, we were actually with my friend Jordan, who works at Kind Humans. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, we got to do a paddle out. And it just, it was in a moment. He immediately texted Justin Hoost, who's his boss at Kind Humans, mm-hmm. the founder, and who said, whatever it is, I'm in. And in that moment, it was it was happening. The next day, I called Danielle from Textured Waves. And because for us, it was like, well, this, this isn't actually going to happen unless we're like lifting up black surfers. Totally. You know, like this is about uh, elevating black voices. Mm-hmm. And it's about standing in solidarity with the movement. And, and quick explanation of what textured waves is for people who don't know. So basically they're just, they're, they're like similar to changing tides, except they're not nonprofit, but it's for black women mm-hmm. who are just trying to celebrate women's of all shade, women of all shades riding the waves. That's their nice. mantra. So, um, for us, it really resonates because, um, most of, first I'm Hispanic, mm-hmm. um, but most of the communities we've worked in and most of the girls we've worked with in surfing have been Afro-Caribbean, have been, you know, Haitian. Um, like when we were in Dominican Republic, most mm-hmm. of the girls had a Haitian background. Um, so they were all women of color. And for us, it was, it was never like, we're going to go out there to work with women of color. It's like, no, we're going out there to work with the local girls mm-hmm. and this is who they, they happen, happen to, be. to be black, you yeah. know? And so, um, I think, you know, for us, that made us feel like there was already a connection to, um, I guess the, you know, the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was, it was really just 
common sense for us to connect with the girls. Danielle, who's one of the founders, has been a part of a bunch of Changing Tides events. She's been a supporter of Changing Tides from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got to meet the other girls through the movement. And and so during all this time, we we had a call, um, Justin, who, so Justin, the founder of Kind Humans, is actually, um, he's half black, half Chinese. Okay, cool. Um, so he was, you know, he's also a person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so him, myself, and Danielle on a call, then um, we're like, it would be really cool if we got Sal here because he's from here. Mm-hmm. And he is like the most prominent, you know, person of color who's in the surf community, in the action sports community. And it would be really cool if he wanted to have a platform, we would love to give that to him. Mm -hmm. And so Danielle had already been talking to him with Textured Waves Mm -hmm. and they ended up um, being able to confirm Sal's participation. uh, That was within 24 hours. Look, the the idea happened on a Sunday. The paddle happened on a Tuesday. It's (laughs) unbelievable. And also like when this was happening too, like – there's been lots of paddle outs and it's amazing. And it's not like a race of like who did it first, but this was like the, in my understanding, it was like the first paddle out like that I had heard of. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty crazy. So we also had done an event, um, a couple years ago, we did an event where we spelled out with, with, a a friend of ours, Billy, um, we spelled out vote with our surfboards and uh-huh. got this really cool drone shot. Yeah. Um, and so the idea came to spell out unity with the surfboards. Mm-hmm. And so essentially once that all happened, you know, then I go into planning phase. So I had to call the city of Encinitas. I had to call, I called the lifeguards. I wanted to make sure everybody was safe. Um, I called the sheriff's department. I just wanted to make sure that this was a memorial, that this was a celebration of life and that it was something showing that the surf community wants to, stand in support and in mm-hmm. solidarity with the movement. And so like, and like you said, we're, we're in a very, very, very white community. Yeah. Um, and, and so we ended up talking to the lifeguards, telling them we were expecting probably about maybe 200 people. And, uh, and the reports were that over 3000 people were, were there between the cliffs and the beach and the actual paddle out yeah. and the people that were in the, you know, in the main area. Um, and the lifeguards, you know, they kind of count like during the switch for bro am and like they have all these big events. They said that was the biggest paddle out they've ever seen. I think the second one would have been the junior Seau paddle wow. out when he passed away. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but, um, so yeah, so it was this very, it ended up becoming this very historic moment. Yeah. I mean, it was featured on the WSL. I think it was like CNN mm-hmm. complex, like. All the biggest Even on media. Fox News. Fox News, yeah. <laughs> you know, if that's getting reported on Fox, it's a big deal. They had to turn it's off their comments, deal. but yeah. yes. Yeah. So that was really interesting because we had to figure out, like, what is the balance between, you know, um, standing in solidarity and protecting everybody from COVID? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's really, uh, that was a real challenge mm-hmm. for us. Um, there were also, like, Weirdly, some rumors started very shortly before the event that Antifa was coming to our protest. You know, like these, this group here started posting on Nextdoor and on Facebook and just trying to fearmonger people out of coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty stressful leading up, you know, leading right up to the event. Yeah. But um, in 48 hours, too. Yeah. With everything, I mean, with everything happening, we, like I said, we were just expecting maybe a couple hundred people, which yeah. we've done events with a couple hundred people before, no problem. But then adding all this into the mix. And then as we start seeing pe- more and more people show up, we're like, okay, 
we definitely want everybody to bring their face mask and to wear their face mask. And I, I would say the majority of people complied with that. Yeah. We were outside. I feel like when you look at it from the air, it looks like everybody was just super clustered together. But when you mm-hmm. were actually there, it kind of seemed like everybody was in their little pods of people they came with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we weren't like encouraging people to wear their masks into the ocean because that yeah. could be dangerous. So, yeah. um, but I think people were really respectful. I'm not aware of any COVID cases that came out of that gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we, we were watching afterwards very closely, um, obviously with that being a concern. Um, but yeah, having Sal, um, use his voice in the way that he did. And, um, it was just so powerful. It was the most important thing I've ever done as a surfer for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, I think the message that was sent was, you know, Hey, the surf community doesn't usually speak up about things like this Mm -hmm. and look at who all showed up you know, look at who all care about you and look at who all support you. And the feeling that Sal had leaving there and the feeling that Danielle and the other group of women that were there with Danielle as well as part of Textured Waves, um, the feeling that they had was, I feel supported. I feel heard. Mm. You know, I feel like, I feel change coming. And I think, and I have goosebumps even talking, yeah, you know, even saying that, um, because you could feel it. You could feel it. it. Nothing palpable. about it. It was palpable. It was yeah. palpable. And, um, you know, I love that there were so many paddle outs happening all over the world um, from whoever organized to wherever they were. Like, it's all for the same reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all for the same cause. And I think that show of solidarity amongst the surf community is unprecedented. Yeah. Especially with an issue that could be considered I consider it a humanitarian issue, but a lot of people consider it a political issue. Yeah. And you don't really see that with anything in surfing outside of sometimes environmental. Yeah. You know, like fight for the bike campaign in Australia, like against oil drilling mm-hmm. or, you know, um, th- that prompted some smaller paddle Because it's directly related, correlated to surfing and the Exactly. Ocean. Exactly. So yeah. that makes sense. But mm-hmm. for something like this... Um, I think, and they're still happening. We're mm-hmm. still getting tagged oh, in things all the time. Yeah. Like, um, so I think it was just a really powerful thing. We were, we were just, we weren't expecting what came out of it. It wasn't meant to be like a media stunt. We didn't know that any press was coming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for us, it was just a big surprise. And, um, the way the, these guys from, they make, they make these rad surfboards, um, out of cigarette butts, the cigarette surfboard. No way. They have a whole quiver. It's really cool, but it's obviously to raise awareness about plastic pollution and it's specifically about Cigarettes. cigarette butts. Yeah. Um, and those guys ended up coming to the paddle out and they worked all night on an edit and the edit was out by the morning, which that was another thing we were not expecting at all. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of like went viral. Yeah. I love it too because it's not like you intended it. Like your intention was so pure. It happened like, I mean, that's like massive action taking in a short time. You're kind of just like channeling the, the spirit of like, you know, I want to do something. Yeah. And I love how you shared it too. You like almost whispered it. You're like, oh my gosh, that's like coming through right <laughs> yeah, now. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, man. And and of course, anyone listening, I'll, I'll link to the videos and the, the PR because it's pretty special if you haven't seen it. Actually, Coffee Coffee right here, a coffee shop yeah. has the it printed on this beautiful frame and photo of like the mixture of unity being spelled also with the paddle out. It's amazing. Yeah, that's Colin, yeah. Colin uh, labeled, um, who did a really, really beautiful job. And honestly, like we, I, I remember there was a point that I looked up because I feel like 
since I was organizing and like dealing with the megaphone and like, you know, the speeches and all these different things, I was just like, you know, when you have that many things going out, it kind of feels like you just black out and you don't remember anything. But I remember looking up at one point and being like, there's like, like, 12 drones yeah, flying there was right so now. Many. There was a dude you know? in an airplane. I think it was Carly's uh, Oh, yeah, Carly's boyfriend. was like yeah. flying in a legitimate plane. Yeah, we got um, those shots immediately. I was like, yeah. what the hell? Like, this is insane. So um, the fact that none of that was planned. I mean, obviously, we we actually only spoke to Colin. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan, our friend from Kind Humans, was going to shoot the water. And then it ended up being like... You're like pro photographers coming out. I mean, we had people... The WSL sent people down which we didn't we didn't know yeah um billy watts came on behalf of surfline um and it was just like i mean i was just getting right after the event just like crazy amounts of text messages and just like just people being like like messages of thanks like wow that was so powerful and Mm -hmm. um so definitely a moment i will never ever ever forget and a proud moment for sure um as far as me as an individual and for us a changing tides, yes, to be able to create that platform for Sal and the textured wave girls to be able to have their voice heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and to raise awareness, it's been really cool watching what all has come from that, especially with like towards textured waves. Mm-hmm. We're like so stoked for them, you know? Yeah. It's given them an even bigger platform and more more people listening Just a lot to of what attention. they have to say. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Which is what we want, you know? Like, why wouldn't we want more diversity in the ocean? You know, yeah. why wouldn't we want and and you know what's funny is I always notice when there's like people of color in the ocean, it makes me smile from ear to ear. You know, I'm like, yes, yes, like Mm -hmm. get out here, you know? And more and more, I feel like after this paddle out, I have seen more people of color in our community and I've seen more people of color in the surf. And to me, that makes my heart really, really, really happy. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. I had like goosebumps (laughs) to this whole conversation. Oh my gosh, there's like so many, I'm going to have to have you on the show a second time because like there's a whole ton of other questions I had and I want to be conscious of time. So before I ask uh, the final question, where can people get involved with Changing Tides and where where can they connect with you online if they want to learn more about what you're doing and just reach out? Yeah, so we're at Changing Tides Foundation on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, we're changingtidesfoundation.org online. Um, right now we're actually like, working on structuring things in a better way to accept more volunteers because we have a lot of people that have wanted to get involved. Um, We've all been volunteers to date at Changing Tides Foundation. So I've never made, despite the fact that I've been working pretty much full time for Changing Tides, I've never made a dollar. Um, We've reserved that for the programs. I think eventually in the future that's going to have to change and I think we'll find corporate partnerships for that. But um, yeah, so generally we're looking for volunteers um, right now, because things are closed down, we're not having so many beach cleanups or so many in-person events. It's a little bit reduced right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think our message resonates with a lot of people. And I'm really glad that it does. Um, and we do want to invite people to participate in Changing Tides. We do challenges all the time. We do our plastic swear jar challenge. We did a plant-based march challenge. Um, you know, we, we try and get people involved in, um, in that way through educational materials Mm -hmm. and making their own little challenges at home as well. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I just have to say thank you for sharing your story and the mission of changing tides, like listening to all the stories you tell, you have this seriously, it's a unique, uh, ability as a visionary to like make shit happen. You're a (laughs) go-getter. You like have this 
I don't know how it happens. Like you know how to give yourself that spaciousness and then the idea comes and you don't just like think about an idea. You make it happen. And I think hearing it, it's like inspiring me to like, you don't have to know how step two or three or four or five is going to happen, but you do have to take that first step and trusting that it's going to um, expand into something beautiful that I don't even know can happen. Just like how the paddle out happened. So thank you. And then I guess my last question is like, what are you most excited about moving forward? So moving forward, I think the fact that we have uh, our new mission statement established now makes it really exciting because essentially now we can gear all of our programs towards making sure it's aligned with our mission. Mm -hmm. So refocusing and starting with the mission, our mission was so broad before that it was like we were doing so many things, whereas now our mission's really concise and we can still do a lot of different things, but it's all got to fit in with our mission. And, um, and it's just really exciting. Like for me, especially I just gave social media up. I've been running our social media for a long time and I Mm -hmm. just kind of passed it on to a a really good friend of ours who, who knows the voice of changing tides foundation. We're really confident and excited to have her on. Um, but it's going to free up my time, a lot of my time, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to cultivate more of these ideas that, that happen in my brain. It's your zone of genius. Exactly. And so um, I'm excited to create the space to create the landscape in my own brain and in my own life to cultivate more of these creative ideas and to continue to um, execute these projects and programs that really connect with people's... um, Like even if, if, if it's something, let's say, environmental, like I love... One of the things about what we do at Changing Tides is we invite people on the journey. We don't shun people. We don't tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. We're inviting you. This is what's working for us. This is what we're learning. We're sharing the information with you. And if you want to join us, here we Amazing. are. Yeah. You know? So I think, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to be able to c- cultivate more um, ways for people to get involved. Sweet. Well, I'm stoked to follow along and, and see everything that transpires. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. What a pleasure. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Becky as much as I did. And I truly am inspired by who she is and how she just takes action and makes things happen. So if you haven't yet, make sure to check out all the links in the show notes here uh, to check out the paddle out and all the other fun things that she's up to with Changing Tides and her action sports law group. So again, thanks so much for listening and until next week.